Time now for another Thrash Pie radio podcast. This is where I celebrate the pure rock years of Southern California's heavy metal flagship, KNAC-FM. Howdy, I am Thrash Pie, your favorite guy, the aforementioned dude. Now, we're heading into these podcasts that are getting a little bit more, let's say, inside baseball for fun. This is sort of inside the station, so to speak. Um, what we did was certainly for our audience and and... You know, all like that there. But um, what you didn't get to see was some of the, you know, the inner workings. Some of those inner workings actually wound up not only on the air, but spreading the uh, spreading the good word and uh, our, our public relations sort of word out into the audience and to the musicians who, uh, you know, were our bread and butter. And nobody really did that more than a guy named Craig Williams, who hosted our KNAC Pure Rock local show, right? Craig was responsible for, for geez, breaking so many bands, getting so many uh, uh, people, uh, helping to get bands signed, to be honest with you. And so we can say that he was responsible through KNAC for, uh, for launching many, many, many a career. Um, Craig's history with the station began way before the Pure Rock era. I actually came to KNAC in like 1982, I think, 81, 82. Wow. Fresh out of broadcasting school. My, the, when I was in broadcasting school, my counselor, mentor, whatever you want to call it, he worked at KNAC. And when I finished that, he goes, hey, do you want to come be an intern? Sure, I'll do that. And he goes, we can't pay you, but <laughs> be an intern. And that's when I started there. I was there with the, started with the rock and rhythm. Did that for a couple of years, you know, and then um, I was there for the whole change. I was actually one of the survivors, I guess. I made made it through the rock and rhythm and into the pure rock, partially because I wasn't one of the bigger names there. I wasn't like people didn't really know who I was at that point. So, mm-hmm. you know, anytime radio stations change, it's like it's out with the old and with the new. And but uh, I was there. I mean, I've always been into the hard rock and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was into hard rock, heavy metal, whatever since the '70s and early '80s and stuff. But the the two guys that were doing the music logs, uh, me and Gonzo. We used to have to write these things in. So like the first year or two, it was all handwritten by me and Gonzo. And Kevin Stevens was he was the music director. He they had a consultant at the time. Oh know. right, Pollock. Yeah, and uh, consultant. He would they would come in and say this is what should be played and blah blah blah. You know, and of course consultants are so out of touch. You know, and meanwhile I'm just going, to, why are we playing this and not that? It's like shut up and write, you know. Yeah, well, no, they didn't know anything about that genre. They, no, no, they didn't. KNAC was there, you know. That that became something they could put in their resume. They, well, they really hadn't didn't have that much to do with it. And I was and I was producing the morning show. We were talking one morning about something and with Jimmy Christopher about what was going on, and we were talking about something like Motley Crue. And I'm going, and he said, "Yeah, I just started talking about Motley Crue and Nikki Six, and he used to be in an LA band called London and." All these little trivial facts, you know. And Jimmy looks at us and he goes, wow, you're really into this shit, aren't you? And I said, no, Jimmy, I've been living this shit for the past <laughs> 15 years, okay? Yeah, right. To me, it was, it was in my blood. You know, but. Sure. Hey, when did you start doing a local show? Was that something you thought of? <clears throat> yeah, because I kind of, well, I wanted to do, they used to do, when it was rock and rhythm, they used to do a show called Homegrown. And I said, you know, because I, I always was into the clubs anyways, and so um, presented the idea to program director and basically um, said, that's a great idea, and got somebody else to host it. 
Um, so there was another host for the first year or two, I think. And I basically, but I picked the music, I programmed it, I wrote the scripts, I, I was out in the clubs seeing the bands, you know. So it's like my thing. And then when the other host left, I think it was Tom Marshall who said, "I said, Tom, I re- would really like to do this." And he said, "Okay, if you think you can do it, let's, we'll give you a trial. Well, you know, you will do it until, I mean, I'll let you do it, and we'll see how it goes in a couple of weeks. If it doesn't work out, or you know, doesn't click or whatever, then we'll have to get a host for it." Okay, well, they never got another host. So, well, I mean, uh, who was the, wait a minute, who was the first host? Lady Di. No, I, she shouldn't be, you know. Right from South Africa, knew the local scene like a... That's right. <laughs> and she had been a, a Vegas dancer. <laughs> I mean, I loved her. I mean, we, Oh, no, I did too. We worked together really well, and so I had no problem. It's like, you know, and she never said, oh, this is all me, so she wasn't, you know, taking no, yeah, or anything. No, she, yeah, she you was know, cool. But, I, I used to, unfortunately, you know, she was doing overnights when I was doing the morning. And it would just scare the living shit out of her when I'd come in the back door. Same thing when I, I mean, I'd be in the studio with her. We'd be doing the show live and I would walk past the window and she'd jump. It's like, <laughs> I was down the hall two seconds ago. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Right. <laughs> I, she, had, she had a real interesting sound. You know, her accent was very interesting. L.A. Radio has always loved a, <clears throat> somewhat of a British accent. I mean, look at the Richard Blades. I mean, you know, it's just, they just do. I was at a station in uh, back east and they tried a British guy and, and the rednecks just couldn't handle it. <laughs> They just well, said, hey, yeah. I don't know who is that. What the hell's he saying? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so when you got that show, what were the bands that you found that you'd bring on there? Or did they find you? How did it work? It worked both ways. I would go to the clubs and basically stand in the back of the, you know, back of the room or whatever and just kind of watch the bands. I never told anybody I was going to go. I mean, I never told bands I was going to go see them before I saw them most of the time because not that I would make them nervous. It's just, I just want to see them do what they do, you know. And if I liked a band, I'd go and hand them a card and go, hey, send me a tape. Or, and, you know, eventually word gets around, and so the bands, they would call me or they would send their tapes to me. And I did something that the other stations in L.A. didn't do, and I listened to everything I got, which, you know, sometimes is pretty horrendous. Sure. You know, because, you, you know, it, it's like, you know, someone gives you a tape and you, I listen to it. I just thought I would think, what are these guys thinking when they did they not listen to this before they gave it to me? <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh my God! But you know, you know the scene back then. Sure. Oh yeah, every kid that could keep uh, four four times thought he was a metal m- musician. You know. Yeah, and it's just like you know, like you know, some of the bands. Like basically, I got to play every local band that came through Southern California first. Either they were here or they came through, and I got to play them first, which was kind of cool. The only band I never, I didn't get to play first or debut or whatever. That was Poison. Really? Yeah. I thought you did have Poison. No, I didn't get. To, we didn't get to play them on the local because that was uh, one of Enigma's big things, and they wanted to come out with a bang, and they didn't want to. They didn't let the band hand out any demo tapes by the time they got a hold of them. Uh-huh. So when Poison came, basically, I think when Poison came to town, they got signed fairly quickly. Even, but they worked their asses off too. Oh yeah, no. They were, yeah. were the, Brad's a real smart guy about the marketing and all that oh, stuff. Oh yeah, they but they but they weren't putting out any kind of demo tapes or anything like that. I think either management or the the label was saying, no, you know what, we're gonna we just want you guys to record, play live, and then we're gonna come out with a big bang. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So obviously it worked. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, well, Bobby is uh, Bobby. You know, Bobby Rock. He was from yeah. Florida, I think, from the Tampa area. Yeah. I don't know where they got together to start. Uh, you know to to build their band, was it here or was it to somewhere else? And then they came here ready. From what I remember, they Ricky 
and Brett were both East Coast guys, and they came to town with another guitar player. I can't remember the guy's name. I'm not sure how Bobby got into the picture, if he came in before or after. But I know when they got here, they got rid of their guitar player, basically, and were looking for a new guitar player. I don't know how true this is. There was like two or three guys in the running, and one of the people in management found a guitar player was just awesome guitar player. He belongs in your band. Um, I know you guys are all blonde, but you know, he's got black curly hair and wears a top hat. Uh. You know? And they kind of went, no. You know, it was, it was Slash who it was. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how true that is or not, but they ended up with CeCe. Yeah. They, they got because, you know, he had the whole the whole look sure, stuff he, like that. You know, he, he, I mean, you look at it, you go, wow, Slash would not fit with what this is. No. He's an awesome player, but, you know, CeCe fits the picture better. Exactly. You and know, and speaking of Guns N' Roses, when did you get turned on to their demo? Because I think you played their demo before uh, that big, you know, before Appetite came out. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, I, I don't remember dates. I'm terrible. I'd have to look at stuff. Vicki Hamilton was their management. She, you know, had a lot of good stuff going on. And luckily, you know, I was on her good side and friends with her. And so she said, oh, I've got, and she would send me tapes, you know, because she would send me like Faster Pussycat and all that stuff too. But when she she sent me the Guns N' Roses, I listened to it and thought, this is good stuff. I really liked it. You know, I played it a couple of times and and she said, well, come on out. They're playing the Troubadour. Come come see him playing the Troubadour. I said, all right. And I got to the show and then I kind of stand there and just waiting for them to hit the stage. And all of a sudden, you know, they came out, and 30 seconds into the song, I'm just they're like, welcome to the jungle. I'm thinking, this is big time. This is big time. Yeah. These guys are going to be huge. They're just going to blow up. Because especially with, at the Troubadour, which is a tough venue to play, you know, because you're, you're on stage, you're out there, there's no place to hide, you know, so you gotta have, you got to have it together. And, so, and they just blew me away, and I've seen them, God only knows how many times, but... Yeah, no, I it, the same thing happened to me when I I saw them. I um, of course Appetite had already been released. You'd you'd had the demo, you'd played that. Appetite gets released. It's, you know, the thing is like stratospheric. And I had to uh introduce them at Perkins Palace. Yeah. In Pasadena. I, it's one of the most dynamic rock shows I've ever seen anywhere. Yeah. You know, it was a great venue. You know, there's about 2,500 people in there. It's sweaty. It's loud as hell. And it's just a rock and roll show. It was just that. And the music was just great. And yeah. they looked like a bunch of criminals. Exactly. <laughs> it's like you're thinking, oh, my God, where do these guys come from? <laughs> yeah. That was probably one of the standout things. What other bands come to mind that uh, went on to, oh, bigger and better things? Is there a Warrant story in that? Uh... Yeah. I mean, because I saw Warrant before Janie joined the band. You know, we we played their stuff early on. I mean, I played Warrant before Janie. I played the demo, Warrant demo before Janie got in. Then I played it after he got in. We were doing really well. And then for some reason, there was this rift between KNAC and Warrant. I, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I think it also had to do with Piver Radio. Uh-huh. You know, because, I'll tell you why. Because, you know, they were uh, Scott Shannon got really tight with Bobby. What's her name? Who was Janie's girlfriend, right? Oh, yeah. And that's and that's what happened. He probably said, you know, once you guys start dumping on KNAC, so, and I'll put you on this 100,000 water up here <laughs> in yeah, Hollywood. And that's, and that's kind of what happened. And there was the, uh, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, I think, why we stopped playing Warrant for a while, um, was because, you know, they were 
becoming a pirate band, one. And two, they showed up one time during my show uh, on a Sunday night. They had just gotten done recording a new song, and we're here to play it on the radio. I'm like going, I'm not going to play something I haven't heard before. Oh, we're warned, you know. And we went back and forth, and, and luckily uh, Ron Russ was there too. <laughs> and so he, uh, he came out and played the, the big honcho-type guy. And, but they were just like drunk and belligerent. Oh, sure. There's no way I was letting them in. You know, and so when that kind of got back to management, they just said, you know what, we'll be done with the band for a while, I think. Yeah, we'll be done with Warrant for a little while. <laughs> Bless their hearts. They um, got real full of themselves, like Craig said, got tight with the pirate radio, and then wondered why KNAC was upset with them. Just wondered why. And they had gone completely away. Uh, they had just completely, completely dumped on us. And um, so, I, you know, I got to agree. Uh, Craig was right to... to you know, to stonewall them right there. And the fact of the matter is, the entire music scene, this is probably in 1991 when this is starting to happen, um, the entire music industry was beginning to morph away from all the Hollywood glam sort of hair bands and, and, and that whole scene. We were heading towards, you know, we were heading towards grunge. And heading towards the Seattle. So it was kind of an interesting thing there that, that happened to Craig there, actually, uh, right on the local show. One of the most critical outreaches that the KNAC uh, radio station ever really did. I think KNAC grew with the bands. As the bands got bigger, we grew with them and we stayed with them. We just didn't kind of go, all right, kids, you're on your own now. You know, it's like, say goodbye. It's like, no, we were there for them no matter what. I mean, even if, you know, it's, I think... You know, Metallica could come back. Guns N' Roses, they knew they can come back, and, and no matter what, they were part of the family. And, and the, from those humble beginnings, and, and the KNAC local show, that's pretty humble beginnings. You've you got to admit that. We have a 1,000-watt signal. Our, our tower's in Dominguez Hills. We, you know, we couldn't even get into the valley. We got down maybe halfway through OC. And, you know, that those big bands... The Guns N' Roses bands, who and Guns N' Roses did get their radio start on KNAC FM. Uh, Metallica, of course, was in their own stratosphere by the time we had already launched, and it was just a matter of them, you know, going even farther um, and and KNAC riding on their coattails. The KNAC local show, uh, an extremely extremely part of the the outreach, not only into the music music community, but into our audience as well. All right. I'll have more insight into the pure rock years of KNAC-FM in future podcasts. I appreciate you listening today. Uh, in the meantime, your comments and correspondence of any kind, always welcome at thrashpieradio at gmail.com. Plus, give us a like and a share, and keep your eye on your Facebook page for the next Thrash Pie Radio podcast. <laughs>